This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hello and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olet Stonechild, and I'm very excited and honored to have my friend Nimkish here. She is a rising queer bedroom pop artist who's currently based out of the unceded Coast Salish territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. And if you haven't heard it already, she just released her latest single titled YSB featuring Ascension last week on CBC Radio. Not only that, but she also co-creates with a ton of indigenous artists and she's an artistic producer a content creator and social media manager for all music programming including the annual talking stick festival i have known nimkish for a couple years now and i have to say i'm very inspired and humbled and excited to see what she has in store for her future we touch on this and a little bit more in today's episode i hope you enjoy hi hi this week's episode of matriarch movement is brought to you by our partners at louvre design Louvre is a socially responsible fashion retailer and manufacturer specializing in sustainable women's clothing with all pieces made and designed right here in Canada. You know, I support women like it's my day job and Louvre is 100% female owned and female led, which is an A plus in my books. Finding sustainable clothing that doesn't break the bank is literally not easy, but Louvre has set out to change that. Even better, you can be sure that everyone Louvre works with are getting fair wages and we know how important it is to bridge the gender wage gap. All the clothing is as comfortable as your yoga gear but chic enough to wear on your next Zoom call with modern staples and playful prints that you'll literally want to wear every single day. Check out Louvre for yourself at louvedesign.com. That's L-O-U-V-E design.com. And get free shipping on your next order with the code Shayla Shipping. All one word at checkout. Uh, Nim Kish is here with me and she's just released her first uh, single this week with, that's titled YSB featuring Ascension and I listened to it just before this podcast and I have to say it put me into like a mood where I don't know what kind of mood it's like where you go on the beach and you're hanging out with your friends and you're just like the sun is starting to set we'll get a little bit into this but first Nim Kish if you just want to introduce yourself to the audience here today Hi, my name's Nimkish. Thank you so much, Shayla, for having me. I am so honored to be a part of this podcast. Like I said, I've been listening all week, and I'm just so grateful that you're creating online space for Indigenous women to have their voices heard. So I'm very honored to be here. Um, and yes, I think you introed me quite well. I am uh, an Indigenous pop artist and I am just about to start releasing new music which is super exciting and YSB literally came out today so that's the first single off my new project like you said it's got chill vibes to it um, I would say it's pretty anthemic as well um, and it's just overall a track I'm really really excited about and I'm so happy people get to hear it now. And so I know we're talking specifically about the single but is this a part of a whole album series Um, and is there a title for that album? Are you allowed to talk about it or is it like hush hush until it's released? (laughs) I can talk about it. I actually I had different plans for the album and I announced it and I put out a release date and everything and then I had management uh, hop on really last minute and we decided to take a step back and 
roll it out properly and let the songs uh, have some more time to breathe. So the title of the project is called Damage Control. It's essentially just about me grieving the loss of my dad and going through 2020 and moving through a hard year while also dealing with some pretty hard things as well. I lost my dad and then a year later I lost my newcomb who was a rock in my life. They both were so I was just feeling really isolated in my grief and I was feeling isolated in general because the whole world was literally in isolation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just kind of about that and about moving through those feelings and the ways that I decided to cope. So the whole album is mm -hmm. essentially about coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's so... I, sorry, I, I literally <laughs> thought about calling it coping mechanisms at first, but mm. um, I settled on damage control because I felt like it was just, it was more um, accurate to what I was doing and what I was feeling and how I was choosing to cope was literally a form of damage control. Yeah, no, I really love that name. It's um, powerful also because I think everyone can relate coming out of 2020 is there's been different coping mechanisms for all of us when it comes to dealing with our own trauma. And for those of you who don't know, me and Nimkish live in the same city. So we've obviously crossed paths and have hung out uh, together. And I remember sitting on your porch once and we were connecting of, you know, how we both have dealt with our father's passing. And yeah, we kind of bonded in that way. And I think both of us have obviously different coping mechanisms, but they both are related to taking that trauma and birthing it into a new state and creating something more powerful. You know, maybe I do that through movement, but you're doing that through writing and through connecting, I think, and co-creating with other people. I believe as Indigenous people, co-creating with one another is a way of decolonizing how we approach our work. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how many other artists you collaborate with on this album. Um, you talked about Ascension and you talked about Darren. What goes into that process of co-creating with one another? Do you both collaborate on this project together or do you write it out and then you think of the person? Well, with, um, with Darren, I just, I knew that uh, before I even started putting the album together, I knew I wanted to work with him. Um, so. I would have liked to do it differently, honestly. I would have liked to fly Ascension down here so that the three of us could have met and I could uh, connect with Ascension in that way in person. And that's normally how I like to collaborate with people. But because of the pandemic, I didn't get to do that with this album, which really sucks mm -hmm. because the whole point of the album was um, connecting with Indigenous producers and other Indigenous artists. And that was my main goal when I sat down and I started dreaming up the concept of my second project. So the fact that we didn't get to do that was strange and I would prefer to sit down with a writer, get to know them, maybe go for lunch even, like care about what's going on in their life and get to know, you know, their story a little bit and Ascension and I didn't get the chance to do that. And I, I know Darren well, but Darren, Darren wasn't writing on the track. He was strictly the producer for this track. Mm. So when Ascension and I talked about how we were gonna make it work now that the borders were closed and all that, um, I said, what could we relate to? What could we write about that we know well and that we can both relate to each other on? And I knew that mm -hmm. our experiences as indigenous women, especially moving through the past few years was something that we could 
we could really speak to and we didn't have to meet each other in person to know that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of those feelings, uh, you talk about your current album being about coping mechanisms. I'm curious to know a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. Were you always interested in the arts, in writing? How did that come to be? Who inspired you to be an artist yourself? Right, well, I became an artist because I was a fangirl first. I love <laughs> the artists that I love. I really love them. I support them. I'm a diehard fan. I buy all their merch. I watch all their interviews. I'm at every show that I can get at. So that's really what inspired it, I would say, is I, I really loved music. Uh, I didn't sing my whole life or anything. I actually used to be really into sports and really into ice hockey. And um, that carried me through high school and a few years after. I graduated from high school and when I quit hockey, which was such a big part of my life at the time, I had this big hole in my life and I didn't really know how to fill it. And that's that's when I really started to kind of take writing more seriously. I wouldn't say that I jumped right into music or anything, but I started writing poetry a lot more and mm. writing creatively and writing short stories and stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of what brought me to music is the combination of my writing that already existed and just really having a passion for the artist that I really liked at the time. Mm. Was there, so I know as writers, creators, you know, content creators, sometimes we're always pressured to constantly be producing content or songs or, you know, poetry itself. Do you ever experience like a writer's block or do you ever experience, you know, like you're not motivated to be doing these things? And if so, what are things that help you to uh, reclaim your power and to find uh you know, inspiration. Definitely. I have experienced a lot of writer's block, a lot of creative blocks, especially through the pandemic. And I found that a lot of the artists and producers that I was working with were also feeling that way. Just because the year was so, um, such a big change for everybody and it was hard for people to adjust and we weren't going to live shows anymore. Everything changed in the music industry and I found that it was hard for me to find inspiration when I needed to find it. And mm -hmm. creativity is something that you can't always force and mm -hmm. you shouldn't force it, in my opinion. So mm -hmm. like I was trying to be really patient with everyone because there were times and even with Ascension where, you know, months would go by and we weren't producing anything and we knew we wanted to collab and we knew that it was going to happen but she was just very honest with me at times about not feeling it and not really being mm. able to get into that creative headspace. And I had to be understanding about that with every person. Um, it wasn't just Ascension, it was quite literally everybody that was involved in the project. My executive producer, Cameron, felt the same way at times. I felt the same way at times. Mm. Um, my instrumentalist, like one of my best friends, Colleen Venables, played violin on some of the tracks and she canceled so many times because she just felt down and she wasn't feeling it. Mm. And, you know, I I took that I took that very seriously. I didn't want to force people to to create if they didn't want to. I didn't want that energy on my album anyway. Right. Mm. So there was a lot of sitting mm. around and waiting for people to be ready to create and be ready to show up. Mm -hmm. and 
um, have a good time while doing it. I didn't want mm -hmm. negative energy anywhere, and I didn't want anyone to feel like they had to force themselves to be on my album either. So, yeah, mm -hmm. there was a lot of that going on. And for me, reclaiming that power and stepping back into my creativity, it had everything to do with how I was feeling. I couldn't force it either. Um, mm -hmm. But I needed music for me at the time because I was going through so much and I was grieving. Um, a lot like half my family was just all of a sudden gone and that was really really hard and so for me it wasn't a matter of stepping back into it it was a matter of needing it and the times that I really mm. needed to create I just let it happen but the times that I didn't feel it and I couldn't get out of bed and I wasn't feeling well like I just let that happen and mm. let myself move through those emotions so this time around I wasn't trying to force creativity or trying to do it when I didn't really feel like it but in a normal year maybe that wasn't like this past year um yeah. i try to step back into my creative power by just creating freely not necessarily um being restricted by songwriting itself i like to journal i like to write random little poems um random little short stories that i don't end up doing anything with but just writing to write really helps me mm -hmm. help me helps me to get back in that creative headspace when i'm not yeah um i like what you mentioned about like honoring your needs and where you're at and like not throwing any judgment to how you're feeling i feel like a lot of us have been feeling collective grief whether it's through losing someone or losing a future that we may have envisioned a lot differently than the one we're living in now um so yeah thank you for reminding me to honor just you know where you're at right now and not beating yourself up for it um and for you know because our lives have changed so much because of this pandemic, obviously it's changed, as you've already mentioned, how it's changed artists' life completely differently, especially if you're a performing artist. And so with your album specifically, you know, what are your hopes for the future because of what we're currently dealing with? I know even a, probably a, an album rollout is going to look a lot differently than if we weren't in this. And so what are your hopes for the rollout? Mm -hmm. It's going to look a lot different and it, it takes um, a shift away from the live performance, obviously, because nothing's live right now. And it's more about creating an experience for the people who are watching or the people who choose to watch. It's really hard to get people out to a virtual show. I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a big wave of virtual shows and people were really watching because we were really bored. <laughs> and that, that was kind of <laughs> yeah. all we had. But now that we've settled into the pandemic a little bit, I feel like it's it's tough to get people out and I know that just from doing some virtual shows by myself but also from the work I do with the Talking Stick Festival um, I work on their music team I am an artistic producer there and I work alongside my co-worker Rob Thompson and we have produced a lot of virtual programming not just shows this year panels concerts uh, online discussions online workshops and stuff like that and it's just a completely different ball game, to be honest. It's mm -hmm. it's about creating an experience for the people that are there listening. When it's a show, it's it's got to be visually great. It has to mm -hmm. look great. The lighting has to be great. The production value has to be high. And you also have to show up and look good and perform well, which is yeah. a lot to think about. Um, because before, you would just show up, sing and then you're done yeah yeah <laughs> but now it's yeah. a whole it's a whole process it's so different 
And you never, you never really know who's going to turn out because like you're saying, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was even teaching a lot of yoga online and there was a lot, it was a lot higher turnout than right now. I feel like everyone's going through a, like a burnout phase of online virtual events. Um, But I think that's why it's so important to also co-create with other creatives and again, focus on um, the quality of the content. And I know for you, you post a lot of your own content. I always watch your stories and you're always up to something you know whether you're alone or with someone else where does your inspiration come from for content creating specifically and is this something that you also want to um keep doing moving forward i love creating content i love um iphone photography i love playing with lighting i'm super inspired by cinematography and i would say like with the content i create with the music i've been creating and the whole experience I hope to create for the album. Um, To answer your question earlier, I realized I didn't actually answer. I I do hope to create an experience um, and some type of online show to release the album when the time comes. And I I take a lot of inspiration in that work and and dreaming up that show or the content I post online. I take that inspiration from the shows I've been watching this year, the media I've been consuming, the books I've been reading, and I've just been really, really into like end of the world post-apocalyptic stories, (laughs) whether that be TV, movies, or books, and that's really where a lot of the inspiration has come from for the album and for all the content I'm creating, and I'm just really inspired by um, cinematic lighting. I think that's like one thing that really gets Mm -hmm. me excited to shoot is to be able to play with lighting. I used to, Mm -hmm. I've been shooting my own content for Instagram and social media for a long time, but this year uh, I got myself some good lights. They're called Aperture Mm -hmm. MCs. They're just little tiny pocket lights, but they really switched it up and it makes every shoot so fun and so different. And being able to play with lighting and get creative in that sense has really brought me joy this year. So it's something that I really creatively love doing. And so what would your advice be to the younger generation that maybe wants to get into content creating but doesn't know where to start? And then the second uh, question would be like, when it comes to writing, if the younger generation wanted to eventually make their own album, what would your advice be for? My advice would be to just start. Like you have to start somewhere. You're gonna suck at it at first probably, like, or unless you're amazing, (laughs) unless you're like a superhero (laughs) or something, everyone starts somewhere. And for me with music and photography and content creation and social media like I wasn't good at it at first and a lot of the times that's how it goes especially with creative endeavors you're not going to be good right away creativity is a process it takes time it takes time for you to step into your artistry or anything you want to do in life so I would say just take those first few steps and um, that you can do anything you want to do especially our youth they're so powerful and I've I'm so inspired by this generation and I think that it's important to acknowledge that with anything you do it's just going to take time and it's if you're willing to put that time in and you're willing to put the effort in and you don't give up that you'll eventually get to where you want to be no matter no matter where you start. Mm-hmm. And speaking of where you started did you grow up in Vancouver or where are you actually from? I was born in Penticton um so yeah my dad raised me there I spent a lot of time um around the Anelkin Center because my dad and Jeanette Armstrong had Theda's books and they were um 
making way for young indigenous writers and I, I appreciate that so much now looking back and uh, Jeanette played a big role in my life and, and my dad's life and he really looked up to Jeanette Armstrong and, and so do I. So I was lucky mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time around there and um, I would say that I spent half my life in Vancouver and half over there though I was still back and forth a lot. Thank you. Hi, hi to our friends at Louvre Design for supporting this episode. As a yoga teacher and a spiritual revolution activist, my whole being is rooted in wellness, but not just of the body and spirit. Protecting indigenous culture means protecting the land we belong to. The fashion industry is one of the most important sources of waste on our planet, but Louvre has set out to prove that sustainable fashion can be the norm. Protecting the planet, the people, and the animals are values most important to Louvre, and I stand firmly behind them. 25% of the pieces are actually made with upcycled fabrics, and the remainder of the fabrics are made with renewable materials like organic cotton, bamboo, modal, and tensile. This is the comfy modern brand you can be proud to wear. Don't forget to visit louvedesign.com, that's L-O-U-V-E design.com, and get free shipping on your next order with the code Shayla Shipping, all one word, at checkout. So when did you actually move to Vancouver? Hmm. Well, I was in Penticton for a lot of my childhood, but I came to Vancouver for, I would say, grade one to grade eight, and then I moved back to Penticton, and then I moved back here after high school. Yeah, because there was actually a question from one of my followers and they were asking if moving to Vancouver helped your career when it came to music. Definitely. I mean, I was doing some really small stuff when I was living in Penticton. Like I said, I I went back and forth and I was really getting into music one summer when I went to go stay with my dad. And I was taking really small gigs there, like playing at wineries and um, opening up for Kim Gucci at the Anelkin Center which was one of my first shows. Um, But it's just, the scene here is bigger and there's a lot more opportunity here in the city, I will say that. Um, And coming here and going to audio school and meeting other like-minded people uh, really helped me to be inspired and stay inspired and stay focused. And then after audio school, Um, through my job at Full Circle, I really immersed myself in the indigenous music community here in the city, which is very supportive and loving. And um, they all inspire me so much, all the indigenous artists here. They're just so great. I really believe that the wave that is about to come out of Vancouver will be led by BIPOC artists and queer artists, Mm -hmm. which is really special. Yeah, we have a really good uh, group of Indigenous folks in Vancouver that all really support one another in their crafts. Um, You know, looking into the future, how do you envision your future? Would you always want to stay in Vancouver or would you want to explore um, maybe the States or other places for your career? What are your hopes for your future? I definitely want to use Vancouver as a springboard to go bigger places, I guess, with my music. Um, yeah, I'd love to break the market in the States and all over the world, really. Like, my dreams are really big. I always aim super high. I want to be selling out arenas one day and touring the world with my music and amplifying Indigenous queer voices and giving space to our artists, not just here 
but everywhere. Yeah, that's something I actually want to touch on is you mentioned dreaming big. And I feel like for me, I would do the same thing, but it didn't really happen until two years ago. And I would actually write down what I wanted to happen in my life. And it's cool to see two years later, the things I wrote down actually happening. And so I'm curious to know if there's a certain like process you do to manifest your goals or your visions definitely i am super into manifestation and i believe that i've attracted everything in my life right now down to every single little detail from manifesting it i make um graphic vision boards i guess if that makes sense like i'll make um iphone backgrounds uh laptop backgrounds Mm -hmm. and i'll put it as my um, lock screen or whatever and that can mean anything from like visualizing the type of music I want to make to like Instagram followers like I will put in whatever number I want and um, yeah in that sense it's brought me a lot of great things in my life I believe I've manifested my friends and my manager even and all the amazing opportunities that are coming up right now it's just visualization and journaling and writing the things that you want down and being brave enough to declare it to the universe and um to yourself Mm -hmm. even i think that's a big step is uh getting over the fact that some things are quote-unquote unrealistic for you Mm -hmm. nothing is unrealistic you can create the life you want you can manifest anything into your life Mm -hmm. if you set the intention out and then you put the work in that's the big part you can't just keep saying it you have to do the work to get there (laughs) yeah you actually have to put those actions behind it I know visualization was a huge process for me and then I would actually like act as if things were already happening and then my actions just started to line up in that way um we've talked a little bit about you know the trauma that me and you or the grief that me and you have both gone through but I'm curious to know like what have been some highlights of being an indigenous artist for you what are some successes that you really that are really ingraining you to want to keep doing this work well uh i was on apple today (laughs) um yeah yeah the single uh, has a little mini documentary on apple which is definitely a milestone Uh, They reached out to me, and that was really cool, and I honestly thought it was fake at first (laughs) when they sent me the email. (laughs) I was like, this is a spam email, but it wasn't. Um, Yeah, I would say that's a milestone, and I I tried to, you know, they asked me what song I wanted to do, and I picked the all-Indigenous collaboration on the album, um, and I tried to get as much Indigenous representation as there as I could, and in there that I could, I wore Section 35, I wore cheekbone Mm -hmm. beauty on my lips and for my makeup and I think that that is something that was really important to me was to put indigenous representation on apple music to show people that we're capable and we can do it and we deserve Mm -hmm. to take up space in those mainstream spaces I think that's something that's really important to me with my artistry is to make space for everyone everyone Mm -hmm. that comes after me all the other artists you know like that's more important to me than being successful as an artist I want to leave I want to leave this industry when I'm ready to leave it and um, leave space there for future generations of indigenous artists to step into because that's that's way more important to me than being successful or leaving the industry as a successful artist 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we need to like decolonize our perception of success and knowing that success looks different for each and every person. Um, and decolonization, we've heard this word being thrown around a lot on mainstream media and in maybe in our communities. And I'm curious to know if decolonization, if you were to define it, how would you define that in your own words? I think it's different for everybody um, in different spaces and in different industries or um, in different places, really. Uh, for me, personally, decolonizing means to unlearn the Western way and to um, dismantle perceptions about what music spaces should look like. You know, it's it's definitely a colonized industry, that's for sure. I think people and big artists too are starting to do the work to decolonize music spaces. But uh, for me in this in this city and through the work I do with Rob at Full Circle and through my artistry, it means to create space for our artists to feel safe and to do their thing in their way that they see fit, not by societal mm-hmm. expectations. So I envision one day that there's lots of recording studios and indigenous spaces here Mm. in the city where our youth can feel comfortable to ask questions and be mentored by other indigenous artists and creatives and have those spaces for us that aren't white spaces because a lot of the Mm -hmm. a lot of the recording industry it is white space and it's Mm -hmm. it can be hard for women to step into those spaces as well but especially mm-hmm. for you know BIPOC creatives, it, it's it's hard. It's a hard process to come up in. It's hard to learn things when mm-hmm. when you don't feel comfortable in those spaces. So I envision one day that the city has lots of spaces available to those creatives mm-hmm. to step into and be able to you know practice practice their culture and practice their creative process the way that they need to and to honor that Mm -hmm. in the way that they need to and not have to worry about um, colonial expectations. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because a lot of people talk about, you know, having a seat at the table, but then if you do have a seat at the table, it's like, well, is this table harming me more than making me feel welcome and safe and supported? And so is there something you would like if you could give a piece of advice for non-indigenous people that are in the music industry to create a more inclusive safe space for indigenous people do you have any advice on how what that would look like yeah i think um it has a lot to do with amplifying our voices and amplifying us and consulting us about you know if you're trying to build space for us are you doing it in the right ways like are you, why are you doing it you know mm. i i see a lot of organizations um trying to do better quote-unquote by indigenous people but like what is your intention behind that is is it so you feel better about yourself is it so your organization looks better is it to get the grant money to fund your projects Mm. like i see a lot of that to be honest um Mm -hmm. so yeah i think you have to come in with good intentions and, and you have to listen to us and you have to give us the space to you know teach you really and to to decolonize the spaces ourselves that you can't do it because you're if you're wanting to decolonize you have to give us the space to do that and that might look different for whatever your whatever project you're trying to do whatever space you're trying to create but it's really listening to us and giving us the space to be heard and to do that work 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of like dismantling the ways in which your own biases of like white supremacy and colonization have even affected you. Um, and I know you just said you signed with a manager. What does that process look like in getting a manager um, in the music industry? And do you set up boundaries when you are partnering with non-Indigenous people? Or how does that relationship look? Because for me, I usually tell people where I'm at and this is like where I'm at and I hope you can support me or else we're just not going to work together. So do you have similar conversations or how does that look? I'm really lucky. Um... I'm lucky to be on the business side of the industry within an indigenous organization. Uh, And I'm lucky enough that I found an indigenous queer manager, to be honest. Uh, I just Mm. started my relationship with Matt. He runs an indigenous label out of Toronto called Red Music Rising. And touching back on manifestation, you know, I knew that's what I needed from a management, Mm -hmm. management team or whatever. And I knew that I couldn't be working with a white manager, really, like, mm. unless they understood. And um, I, mm. I'm just lucky enough that I didn't really have to set those boundaries because Matt and I were immediately on the same page about my vision, what we wanted to do. Um, even going back to, you know, dreaming big, we were like, let's shoot very high. And if we miss, we miss. But, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have found someone like that. And I'm lucky to have found Indigenous mentors within the business side as well. Cause I'm passionate about that part of the industry too and Rob Thompson has been an incredible mentor to me and I've also received mentorship from Margot Kane who's one of the matriarchs in theater mm-hmm. and the arts and I just really lucked out in that sense and I believe that those things were brought to me through manifestation and me knowing exactly what I wanted and being firm with the universe and myself about what those things would look like hmm and knowing you deserved the abundance um, that comes with it. You touched on uh, Margot Kane uh, being the matriarch, and this is the Matriarch Movement podcast, so I'm curious, how would you define a matriarch? Really, like, I know that um, the definition of matriarch is, you know, kind of that rock in the family that provides abundance to everyone else, um, but I think it goes... Further than that, I think matriarchs are community workers, they're the people that make people feel safe and they hold the knowledge about whatever space that they're holding and I would definitely say Margot is a matriarch and you know other matriarchs in my life include um, Anukum who's, who's gone now but she definitely was the matriarch in the family. Uh, We have a big family, everyone always looked to her, they wouldn't make any moves without um, making sure that my newcom approved and that she supported them in that endeavor and I think that that was really important for my family uh, and and to me. I would say other matriarchs in, in the arts are Elaine Bomberry, you know, she has carved out a lot of space for uh, younger generations, including me, I super appreciate the work that she does. Denise Balduke is also a matriarch in this industry. You know, I think it's it's just people who are trailblazers and create and hold space mm-hmm. for future generations. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as indigenous people, we have that seventh generation prophecy, always looking seven generations ahead and looking into the future. And I feel like there is a big shift. We're coming out of, you know, the traumas that we have encountered intergenerational trauma. And now we're literally shifting into a new era. And so this idea of indigenous futurism, how does that look like for you? I feel like you're already kind of doing it though, co-creating with other indigenous artists and creating space for other indigenous people's voices but indigenous futurism what do you hope for the future for our indigenous communities well to me indigenous futurism means that we get to reclaim the space that's been taken from us and uh, um, we we find uh, you know we find and amplify indigenous joy indigenous excellence and um, that we reclaim indigenous sovereignty. That's really what it is. And it looks different in every space, just like the colonizing does. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that re-indigenizing looks different for whatever person is looking to re-indigenize in whatever space they're looking to re-indigenize. But to me, yeah, in- indigenous futurism means that we, we get to reclaim that space. And in music, that means that we, you know, indigenous people are getting hired and indigenous people are in mainstream spaces they're getting you know they're getting booked they're getting paid they're getting hired to Mm -hmm. create space and in this city i I really picture like i said i you know recording spaces and Mm -hmm. musical spaces and studios that are indigenous owned and led and are for indigenous people or bipoc people i think that's really important yeah, I think reimagining like an indigenized future gives me a lot of hope because we have so much to learn from one another. And in a country that has only suppressed our voices, what they don't realize is we have so many teachings that are inclusive, are inherently like creates unity with one another. And so, yeah, I hope to see like a more indigenized uh, future myself. And speaking of the future, you have the your album dropping out. How can people support you moving forward? Oh, you know, um, they can listen. I think, uh, I think that's the most important thing. And that's honestly what YSB is about. You know, like the first, the first lyric in that song in my verse is are you listening do you hear me am i screaming out into nothing and that that line just came from a place of frustration that no one really listens and i always feel like we are struggling so much to be heard and fighting to be heard and it's really exhausting and the first line in ascension's verse is is this what it's like to be a drop in the sea and i think what she Mm. means by that is that we're our voices are constantly being lost in a huge sea of, Mm -hmm. of other voices and i mean People can support me by not only amplifying my voice and listening, but amplifying all Indigenous voices. And what about next month? Do you have anything exciting coming out for Indigenous History Month? Definitely. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to get some new music out and hopefully some some great content. It's something that is still in the works, so I can't really give any dates or anything. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'll definitely have some stuff coming out next month for sure. Awesome. Well, congrats on the Apple and the single drop last night. I know it was at like midnight. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your album and to see um, 
yeah, your career just take off. I mean, we're both, you're doing great things. I'm doing great things. We got to hang out and connect back in Vancouver when the lockdowns are over. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast and I'll be sure to drop your handles. Make sure you follow and support Nimkesh and play her album on repeat. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shaya. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.